And what I mean by that is this, that most of the ministry takes place from someone like me and a position up front and everybody else listens. That's not a working definition of what the New Testament church should be. You might be saying, well, where does it, is there any definition of how a New Testament church should function? And when you look at the epistles and you look at First and Second Corinthians, in First Corinthians, Paul, from First Corinthians 12 to 14, is addressing the issue of spiritual gifts and about ignorance in the church about spiritual gifts. He reminds them of something of the past that they were not ignorant about in terms of being led astray to idols and the worship of idols. He then looks at the fact that there's different nine, he lists nine spiritual gifts. I hope you know that there's more than nine spiritual gifts. Okay, there's another gift list in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. There's another gift list in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. There's another gift listed in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. There's another gift listed in the gift of martyrdom that you only get to use once. Okay. Uh, there's a gift of service in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, I wish all men as was I am, yet each has his gift. The Lord Jesus obviously talks about that as well in Matthew chapter 19 as well when they're talking about the divorce and stuff. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says this. What shall we say, brothers, when you come together, someone has a hymn, someone has a song or a psalm, someone has a revelation, someone has a teaching, someone has a tongue or an interpretation. He says, oh, you find that in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, I'm not making it up. He says, all of these must be done for the upbuilding of the body. And here's the deal, most of us come to receive, don't we? What would happen if we transition the church from a receiving mode to a giving mode? So Ram, you coming to receive this morning. Who's got the hand? We heard a couple of songs. Anybody got the hand? I'm not talking about your husband. <laughs> Does anyone so you've came this morning, you've came expected to receive, but what are you going to give? Does it have you used the hand? No? You no? Maybe yes? 50-50 from a friend? <laughs> Who has got a teaching? And we're not talking about these stand up here for 30, 40 minutes or an hour. A teaching could be, you know what, God did this, and through your testimony, people are instructed and taught. Anyone have a teaching this morning? Uh, I'm come. Oh, I wasn't going to come. No, no, no. This is what the New Testament church should function like. Aren't come? It doesn't matter what it is. It's, as we receive the bottle, it's not the size. It's what is within the size. But it's just... I, when I woke up this morning, I had a glass of water. Yeah, you should do that. But I mentioned to people at breakfast how really amazing the water tasted. I mean, it really was amazing. It was so refreshing. It was so clean. It was so pure. It was great. And I just thought, great, I'm in Devon, great water. And then halfway through the uh, ministry, I thought, oh, yeah, living water, a woman at the well. You know, the whole story about... Um, the whole purpose of Jesus is to give us living water. So I haven't quite worked it all out yet for, for what that means for me, but that's what I thought that Jesus was saying. He has come to, we need to ask for living water from him and he will quench all our thirsts. Mm -hmm.
So you just stay here, we'll do a bit of tag team, is that okay? <laughs> so here's the thing, not just about learning water in John chapter 4, but in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, In the last and greatest day of the feast, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And the Bible goes on to say, This he spoke with the Spirit who was later to be given, for as yet Jesus had not yet ascended and be glorified. And then Jesus says this, For within your inner being would flow rivers of living water. No streams, no trickles, but rivers. What is flowing from your life today, folks? Are you so filled that there's an overflow and an overspill to others? See, this woman came to use the teaching that she brought. That, this is significant teaching. Some of you people are living with shame. Some of you people are living with guilt. And the woman came at the oddest time, the hottest time of the day to avoid the wagging tongues, the pointing fingers. She's had five failed relationships. The man she's now with, she's not married to. You imagine all those exhaustion, exhilarating, and everything that she was known for in that community. And she goes at the hottest time of the day to avoid all of her community. And Jesus says, look, you know what? I'll give you water that will rise up to eternal life. I can take away that shame. I can take away that guilt. Whereby you're not held back by those things. Do you know the first three things that our first parents experienced after they sinned? Was fear, shame and guilt. Fear, they hid from God. Said we had to sin, you walked in the garden, we were afraid, so we hid. Shame because they sewed fig leaves together. Before that they were naked, the Bible says not shame. And guilt because they were hiding from the presence of God. Mankind is not much different today. We are caught up in fear, shame and guilt. And I love what Romans chapter 8, so we're just tag team here, so it's still your teaching. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore, and so whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to know what it's there for. Okay? <laughs> Dan Quinn said that in a real life. It says, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, and so what Paul is saying is, after chapter 7, the good we ought to do, we don't do, and the bad we don't want to do, we do. He says, who will deliver me for this body of death? Thanks be unto God who has delivered me for Christ Jesus. And he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through this law, the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is a river. And back in 1984, in the Toronto days, it was everybody in the river. My problem wasn't getting in the river. My problem was getting the river out of me to the people who needed it. It's not about becoming self-indulgent. So we've had the teaching. Who now, thank you. Who now has a... And I know we're vineyard, and I know we're no Pentecostal, and I know we're no charismatic, but we are New Testament. Who's a tongue? You have a tongue? Come. Brilliant, this is great. <laughs> so, what's your name? Debbie. Debbie. So Debbie's going to give a tongue, and then we're going to get the interpretation. Now Debbie might get an interpretation, or Debbie might not get an interpretation, so you be receptive and open to receive interpretation.
So does anyone have the interpretation of what that was? Don't overthink it, just come and bring it. God's getting you this weekend, isn't he? <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cheers. Okay. Anybody else? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me as well. Come to me. Wow. Anybody else? You have an interpretation? Yeah, that's okay, that's brilliant. Do you have an interpretation? I don't know. I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do. Okay. I don't know, how do you give interpretations? You just, listen, it's not about knowing how. My no. brother has this okay. favourite saying and I love it. You don't need to have it all together to give it all away. You just say it as it is. When the blind man was healed in John chapter 9 and the Pharisees were interrogating him and wondering how, he says, listen, I don't know if Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. All I know of is blind and now I see. Interpretation. You don't need to be theologically precise. You just get what you've got. No, it was justice and, justice and truth are, are mine and justice and truth are mine and hope and strength is they're, my, they're the things that I operate in, and they're for you. Justice and truth is mine, and hope and strength is what I want to give you. Something like that. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, is this resonating with some of you? You know what? It's about the body ministered to the body. It's not about me coming as much as I could. It's not about me coming to do something to you or for you. It's about me coming to do something with you. My calling primarily as a prophet, and I'm recognised as a prophet in the various nations of the world. Some days I'm prophetic, other days I'm pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But my primarily calling, and the calling of any prophet, is to equip God's people to hear God for themselves, never to make anybody dependent on prophetic words. You need to hear that. That's why in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, Paul says, For as many as are led by the prophets of God. He doesn't say that. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons and daughters of God. Prophecy is helpful, it's powerful. I've seen it change nations. I literally change nations. I'm talking about everybody words, I've seen it change nations. Mm. Uh, and I've changed nations' destinies. I'm sitting with words for different nations and different leaders of different nations. So it's very powerful. But the fact is, I'm not here to do something to you or for you. I'm here to do something with you. So that when I leave, there's more prophecy. There's more of the kingdom of God, not for the somebody up front, but for the every member together. That's why Paul says, look, you don't in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, and even 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 rather, he says, look, you do not lack in any, you don't come behind in any spiritual gift, you're able and competent to minister to one another. That's what the body is. So let me get, so there's coming, they're all equivalent to prophecy. So in vineyard terms, we would say, you know what? They were good, but in vineyard terms, we kind of stuck into a tongue interpretations of praise told about God. 
So this is what she said as well. Lord, I worship you with my whole being. I worship you with my soul, for you alone are worthy, Lord God Almighty. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. The praise, the glory, and the honour. You alone are worthy. And as a response to that, the Lord says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in nature. Come to me. The one out of the world, he who thirsts, let him come to me. Does this normally happen in your gallons? I don't think it does, does it? I travel extensively in Vineyard and we become functionally cessationist. And cessationist is people who don't believe in the ongoing gifts of the Holy Spirit. Continuationists are people who believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still for today. And in Vineyard we are not theologically cessationist. I travel extensively in various vineyards, not for the last number of years. Uh, and although we're not theologically cessationists, we don't function in the gifts the way we should. And it's time to revive the gifts. It's time for body ministry. That's not to say we do away with leaders. Leaders are always important. But the body, the leaders can't do it all. So as we look today, I want to look at authority and identity. And in Matthew 28, after Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's rose again the third day in the Council of Scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. That's the Gospel. You know that's the heart of the Gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the good news. Jesus did not die for his own sins, he died for your sins and my sins. In order that we might be forgiven, in order the death that we deserved, uh, we don't get, we get the life that he lived. And so he rose again. So, and then he comes in Matthew 28 after his resurrection, after he tells Mary, uh, the two Marys, to go and meet him in Galilee. He says, tell my disciples to go ahead with him on the Galilee. And verse Matthew 28, 18 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm not the brightest tool in the box, but when somebody says all authority, all means all, doesn't it? So if Jesus has all authority, that means no one else has got that kind of authority. Could you agree? Yep, it's Bible, Matthew 28, you want to look at your Bible. And then he says this, therefore go and, to all, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. What is that called? The Great Commission. Now, for the best part, I've been a Christian now 40 years. For probably about 38 years of those, I've always viewed the Great Commission as evangelistic. Anyone who said, what? Yet we're called to go and evangelise and make disciples, converts and make disciples. The Great Commission is not an evangelistic commission, it's an apostolic commission. And it takes an apostolic people to fulfil an apostolic commission. And so you see right away, Jesus comes and says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. That's the language of the apostolic, it's about being sent. 
but it's about being sent for a purpose and with a reason. Apostles were called ambassadors, an ambassador is somebody who represents one kingdom and one country and one culture and takes in another kingdom, another culture and another country and represents their culture, kingdom and country from where they go in that place. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. Did you know that? Wherever you go, you're an ambassador. We're an apostolic people sent on an apostolic mission. We're cross-cultural missionaries. Do you know who the first cross-cultural missionary was? Jesus. Jesus is the greatest cross-cultural missionary you will ever get. What are you talking about, John? Jesus left the heaven, the culture of heaven, no death, sickness, sin, disease, anything else. And he came to a sin-plagued, death-ridden world. Cross-cultural, different cultures. And he incarnated the incarnation for 30 years, working a job, living a family life in a small rural town, about 200 people, and then he was unveiled to Israel in the river Jordan at his baptism. And the Spirit empowered him to fulfil the commission that he knew even at the age of 12, when he was found in the temple. And here's the thing, folks. Jesus comes then to his disciples. So God who's the, has all authority, he's the highest the ultimate authority wants to delegate his authority to you and I. So the question today is, no, do you have authority, do you not? So fathers have authority, mothers have authority, teachers have authority, employers have authority. We all have authority in different spheres of life and living in this room. The question is, how is that working for you? How is that working for you? Jesus says, I'm the ultimate, the highest authority. There's no greater authority than, than me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And here's the thing, again, for me as I read it this way, go make disciples of all nations. I thought, yeah, that's getting people from different nations and making them become Christians and then we disciple them. I believe God has a greater anointing to actual disciple nations. And let me share you an experience I had a number of years ago that helped shape a nation. About maybe eight, say ten years maximum, I was in a, a small group of pastors and leaders, about four is four or five, there wasn't many. A Thursday night in the south side of Glasgow, and we're praying, and then I have this visionary experience of a place called La Paz in Bolivia. I've never been to La Paz in Bolivia, I have no interest in La Paz in Bolivia. I just, I, I knew it existed, but I wasn't interested. The Lord begins to speak to me and, and say, look, from the past in Bolivia, which I believe now is, because I've done some research after it, it's the highest point in Bolivia. There's going to be a revival that was spread right across that nation through evangelism and discipleship. That was 10 years ago. But three or four years ago now, the, I was on social media and there's a guy, Joshua Generation, Andrew Selly. So you know that guy? Yeah, so Joshua Generation's a fantastic church in Cape Town. Uh, different for Vineyard, but still family, cousins, brothers and sisters. And so he came on, I've got him as a friend on Facebook, he came on Facebook and says, listen, we need to pray for Bolivia because the Prime Minister has outlawed evangelism and you cannot seek to convert somebody for another face overnight. And I'm thinking, so I came back from work and I read this and thinking, Tuesday night, finished at 10 o'clock, and that's, Lord, that's not right. My wife's in bed, my son's in bed, I'm in the living room. In the south side of Glasgow, 
And I stand before my living room door. I know if there's anything magical about my living room door, okay, it's no Narnia and the wardrobe <laughs> here. I stand before my living room door and, and then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and rose up from within me and I says, Lord, I decree a reversal of this decision in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Within 24 hours, that decree was reversed. That decision was reversed and now it's okay to evangelize the body. Why? And that's what I'm saying. I, I could tell you story after story. Do you want to encourage your faith? Yeah. Lord spoke to me on 5th of December 2014. And he said, John, I want to speak to you again about the nations. I'm driving to work, minding my own business, just getting ready for work, and all the mad kids that I work with. Um, and saying, okay, Lord, if you want to speak to me, I pray that you would give me a nation. I don't want to do the old thing, Operation Mobilisation. You get a nation, you pray into it, and they give you all the facts and all that. Lord, you speak to me. He was silent to the 18th of December. And then 18th of December, driving to work, the Lord said to me, I want you to pray for Jakarta and Indonesia. Okay, Lord, I know there's an Indonesia. I've heard of Jakarta, but again, no interest, nothing. Uh, and then the Lord just says, okay, Lord, what should I pray? He says, I pr pray against the terrorist attack that's coming. I pray for the safety that no lives will be lost. At that point in time, we had a young gentleman that I was looking after for Dublin, and we'd agreed with his social work department and the, and the courts over there that he could get home to see his aunt once a month. But I pushed it, his mum had her own issues with addiction. I pushed it and says, look, can we go back uh, twice a month and actually start visiting his mum now? He's been with her years, not seen her for years. She seems to be in a better place. I'll be there to supervise. That was okay. So we go and I think it was the 14th or 15th of January. So bear in mind, 18th of December, God speaks to me of 2014. It was either between 14th 15th of January. So you can Google this. I'm certainly taking home for his first meeting with his mum. His girlfriend comes in from next door and says, I'm going to go and see her. I says, well, leave the door open. I'm in the living room so I can see it. I just don't want anybody pregnant on my watch or anything else. Um, <laughs> Because that's what the young people are like. Well, the young people are working about that anyway. Um, so as he's left the door open, his mum turns on the TV and the news, and then breaking news, Sky News, a terrorist attack in Jakarta, Indonesia, but no loss of life. And I'm like, wow. And then that was the third Tuesday, I think that was Tuesday, it was Wednesday. On the Thursday of the following week, in fact, tell me it was Tuesday the following week. The Lord gives me this place in Indonesia. I've never been, never heard of it. I just say it was, say it was Bandura. It wasn't Bandura, it was something like that way. He says, I want you to pray for a fair day's wage for a fair day's labour because there's going to be a demonstration in that place. I'd never heard of it. I googled it and sure enough there was a place like that. That was a Tuesday. So what I do is, the Bible says, watch and pray. I get the papers downloaded, technology, so I get the Jakarta Post. The Tuesday God speaks and I begin to pray that. On the Saturday, this place pops up in the Jakarta Post. There was a 30,000 people demonstration in that place for a fair day's wage, for a fair day's labour. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me that prophecy doesn't change things. Mm -hmm. Not just individual things. Let me give you a dramatic individual one. In Glasgow, Elam, many years ago, and I was asked to preach by a friend of mine, so I actually ministered to the Navy here in Bristol, Simon Foster. Um, he's now in Birmingham. He asked me to come speak one night, Sunday night. 
prayed in the afternoon, the Lord gives me this woman's name, Mary, and that's my mum's name. I thought, it's a good name. So I go that night, and I say, Lord, anything else, nothing, silence. I go that night, and I stand up and finish the word, and I say, there's somebody here called Mary, where are you? Just like this woman on my left-hand side on the platform stands up. In the process of her standing up, the Lord speaks and says, tell Mary I've seen her tears and heard her cry. He says, Mary, the Lord wants you to know you've seen your tears and heard her cry. She passes out, she wails first, screams, and passes out in the spirit onto the chair. I thought, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> Mary, see your tears heard, it's not really dramatic, is it? God knows your name, but see your tears heard her cry, it's not great. I'm back there maybe several months later and this woman comes up to me and says, do you remember me? I says, I'm sorry, I don't. I meet so many people and they work and travel and various other things. She says, can I take five minutes of your time? I says, sure. She says, I'm that woman, Mary, you prophesied to. She says, can I tell you about the context? I says, absolutely. She says, on the Friday of that weekend, I discovered that my husband had been married to for 20 plus, maybe even more than that, years. Uh, was an adulterer. He's a taxi driver and he committed adultery, not just once or twice, but 17 different times. Mm. Says my family were growing up and so from the Friday to the Sunday before I even came to the meeting that night, I'm lying in bed the whole weekend, devastated, <clears throat> contemplating suicide, contemplating throwing myself in the river Clyde to end it all, just because of the betrayal and the, and the, band, the betrayal of trust. My kids are up now, they don't need me. Says, but you, I was brought up in the Catholic Church, and in the Catholic Church we used to sing this wee, wee song, Lord, do you know my name? Have you seen my tears? Have you heard my cry? Mm -hmm. Says, you get up on the Sunday night, says the Lord, you call me by name, says the Lord, you seen your tears and heard your cry. Mm -hmm. And she says, that's how it affected me. So I'm like, I'm angry and indignant, says, you know you have every right to divorce that man, because he's broken the marital vow. Says, no, but let me tell you the rest of the story. Says, well, what is it? She says, there he's over there. He became a Christian. Yeah. And not only that, but my son-in-laws became a Christian. Yeah. And my daughters who were away, they've come back to Christ. And there was two daughters, two son-in-laws, and a husband sitting in church. Don't tell me God's word doesn't work. Yeah. Individually. And not just individually, individually, but to change nations. But here's the thing. You will never release the word of the Lord unless you recognise the authority that you're called to carry. Let me say that again, you will never release the word of the Lord unless you recognise the authority that you're called to carry. And we see that in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, Jesus calls the disciples to them and gives them authority. And Luke 9 verse 1, he does the same, it's just a repeat of Matthew's story. But then again in Luke, he calls the 72 and he gives them what? Power and authority over every unclean spirit to heal every disease and sickness. Here's the thing folks. We are not called to pray for the sick. You're not called to pray for the sick. There's only one instance in the New Testament that calls us to pray for the sick, and that's in James chapter 5, where it says, If anyone's sick among you, let him call the elders of the church, and let them come and anoint them with oil, and the prayer offering faithful will raise the sick person. And if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Jesus calls the twelve in Matthew 9, 10, 1, Luke 9, 1, Luke 9, 6, and 7, Matthew 10, Verses 1 through 7, and he says this, The kingdom of heaven is near, or is at hand, the other versions say. Therefore, go ahead of me, preach the kingdom, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, 
raise the dead. That's our job description. Jesus doesn't ask us to pray for the sick. He calls us to heal the sick. He calls us to cleanse lepers. He calls us to cast out demons. How many of you know it takes authority to cast out a demon? I met a couple of them in June. A friend of mine in an EOG church in Crawley said, John, will you do some prophetic appointments? I'm like, ah, that's wonderful, brilliant. First lady comes in, and within 10 minutes, there's an explosion of a supernatural encounter. I'm like, whoa, a spirit's choking them. You can see the marks in their neck, but you can't see the spirit. And she's talking in different voices and telling us to stop. And we're like, that's not happening. And so we, we took authority over that. We broke it, we bound it, we cast it out. And I'm thinking, oh, that's okay. Then the next one, another lady comes in, and she comes in, and she's quite fine boy, and got acrylic nails. I know that because of the young people I work with, so I'm up there. Yeah. The makeup's not I wear them every weekend, okay? And she starts tapping furiously, and I'm like, I'm sitting there looking at them, thinking, she's done something with her hands that's unclean. And obviously, I need to watch because there's kids, but she's done something, and the Lord gave me that revelation, I thought. So I, I relate to a guy called Ken Fish, who is an old vineyardite. Ken's probably the most, foremost deliverance minister in the world today. He's it had 250,000 exorcisms in and through himself in his own life, apart from even the teams he's singing. So in the middle of all this, there was a lull. Then this voice started speaking through this woman. You don't have authority. Like, you're wrong. I do. Go away, leave me alone. You're not getting left alone. You, you're gone. That's the only thing that's happening to you. So in between this law, I texted Ken. I don't know if he was up or not, but I texted him. Ken, this woman's doing this time. Is it a spirit? And at that point, the spirit had me spoke through the woman. It says, John, it can be a spirit of nervousness. And I thought, I think it's a spirit. And then within a minute, she started talking in a man's voice, and leave us alone, and don't you've no authority. And we're like, you're wrong. And we cast that thing out. And it was dealt with. Later on that night, she came to, she texted the pastor. She's not a Christian for very long. And there was, there was a real demonic spirit that was holding her and binding her. And she, we knew that she knew the name, but she couldn't say the name. And she texted the pastor that night. She said, the demonic name in that being was Ashbury. She's never read the Old Testament. It's a demonic being. And later what we found out is before she became a Christian, she was very promiscuous. And she had done things with hands. Unclean things. And on two occasions, she would never go with married men. That was a rule. So that kind of justified her immoral lifestyle. She wouldn't go with a married man. But on two separate occasions, she went with two men and actually got them to give her contracts for, her soul, for their souls. Written contracts. That's how deep this stuff went. And that's how deep-rooted it was. And it takes power and it takes authority to get rid of that. Now, when we, that thing challenged me, you don't have the authority of that. We say that wishy-washy in terms of my authority, in terms of my identity, because authority flows from identity. Remember I said last night, your authority does not legitimize your identity or validate your identity. Your identity gives you access to your authority and legitimizes and, and just makes it legal. And you're like, so when that thing says you don't have authority from you, I know that I do have authority and you must leave it and you must leave now. Folks, that's not just for me, that's for all of you. So see when you come into working with the ladies of the night. Now whether this job or not, you will work with those type of people. You need to hear me say that, right? I remember I worked with those type of girls. 
I worked with those type of guys. Um, I worked on the, the Glasgow City Mission which works for the homeless. I remember years ago this lady came in and never seen her. And she was a lady of the night. That was a profession. But she moved up from Birmingham. She used to be found, found out that she used to be a Christian and chatting to her. But then somebody gave her a word and says, she'd kind of blown it. She'd made some wrong choices. Somebody says, you will never hear God's voice again. That was another Christian telling her that. So she went into a downward spiral to the extent that she ended up in the streets as a prostitute. She's sitting before me. She's got arthritis. So she's got one of these wee bangles on her, her um, ankle, which is quite nice. But so then she's telling me this story. The Lord gave me 18 detailed words of knowledge about her whole life. 18 different that she never told me. I said, look, this, 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 and I just rhyme one, one after the other. She says, how do you know that? She says, I don't. She says, but God does. And he loves you. And so you, if that person says you will never hear God's voice, here's 18 different ways that you've heard God's voice in the last 10 minutes. And she was blown away. We prayed for her arthritis and her leg was swollen. When we prayed, God healed her. And I've seen this loads of times to the extent that a wee bracelet on her ankle didn't fit. But the fact is, I've come across other ones who have been demonised. And it takes authority and the power of God to break that. And so you're going to need that <clears throat> when you minister to those people. It's not about psychology or behavioural therapy, cognitive. I do all that in my job. I'm telling you, Disney, some it works, but most it doesn't. I haven't done room cleansing in my work. Young people have seen I've had this demonic apparition appear to me. They don't use that language. Somebody's appeared to me called Lucifer. All right. At the TV programme, no, I like the TV programme, but they tell me, well, listen, okay, and what do you think? I really like them. They tell me all this good stuff about my life, okay. And, but what about yourself harm and try to lose your arm and what about this? What about all these cuts in your legs? And, and so, yeah, John, but no, I'm, I'm, I don't want that person because they tell me to do things that I don't want to do. Okay, what would you like me to do? You're a Christian. Okay, I'm going to do what we call a room cleanse. I'm going to get rid of these presences. Would you like that? Yeah. I pray in a thing called tongues, and it's a different language. Are you okay with that? This is my work, okay? It's not Christian work. Are you okay with that? Yeah. We go running around praying, praying tongues, and it stops. That's authority, folks. You need to recognise the authority that you carry. That God, who is the ultimate authority, has delegated that authority to you and me today. But that needs to be exercised. And here's the thing. A lot of people don't like authority because there's been many abuses of it. And most people abuse authority because they think it's intrinsic, it's something inherent and innate within them, rather than something connected to what we're called to do. And so when Jesus called them, he called them and he gave them authority for what? He gave them authority for their assignment. So in Matthew 9, 1, you see the three things. Jesus calls the guys, he equips them with power and authority, so you need both. Because a policeman has authority. If a policeman stops me in the road, he'll step out in the road and stop me. Now, he has it. what stopped me is his authority, it's not his power. I can run him over if I so wish. But if I run him over, there's going to be consequences. He cannot stop my car going at 60 miles an hour. But his authority can. So it's not enough to just have the uniform of authority. We need to have the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that helps us to deal with what we need to deal with. Which is more and more as... We live, I'm just going to be honest, we live in a demonised culture. 
And if anybody ever heard of Jonathan Cann, the rabbi who wrote a book, he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Harbanger, which was very a prophetic bestseller list. And he's got some good things to say. I don't really pay much attention to him, to be honest. But apparently he's written a new book recently called Return of the Gods. He's talking about Baal and Astra and all these different gods. And the Lord spoke to me last year and the year before about all this sort of stuff. And I thought, that really makes sense. When you sweep the house clean, you don't fill it. These things come back and bring seven other spirits more worse than what was. And Jesus says, so it will be with this generation. It's not about individual deliverance. We need to deliver communities, cultures, societies, and nations and fill it with the presence and the lordship of Christ. And we have the authority. You might say, can we do that? Absolutely. There is Jesus in John chapter 5 that's been the basis for this weekend. Verse 17, Jesus says, my, so they're accusing why are you healing on the Sabbath, Jesus? And they're really questioning his authority. Why are you doing this? He says, my father, John 5, 17, my father is always at work until this very day. That tells me this. There's no environment in your life and your everyday life, wherever you are, school run, workplace, gym, uh, shops, grocery store, mall, there's no place where God's no moving. God is always moving. God is always working. But the fact is, Jesus says the secret of partnering with him is learning to see what the Father's doing. So if God's working in every environment, what is he doing here? What is he doing now? I believe one of the things he's doing is he was showing you earlier, body, I never intended to do that till we were worshiping the Lord, says, let you do 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And let the body minister to each other. Okay, good deeds. But here's the thing. When you're called to authority, you're called to exercise and partake and exercise Jesus' authority, okay, because it's very easy to choose. Most of the time, the enemy will challenge your identity. And here's the thing, here's the reason why. If the enemy can distort your identity, he can sabotage and disconnect you from your subsequent authority. Let me say that again. The reason why the enemy challenges your identity is because if he can disconnect you from your identity he can uh, disconnect you from the subsequent authority that you need because remember authority flows from identity and so a lot of people a lot of Christians want the authority of God and they long for the authority of God while they're avoiding the assignment that's connected to that authority you ever found that? Mm. Well, I don't want your authority what you want to do this, go and speak to your neighbour and we don't I've done that twice in my life with severe consequences. There used to be a young boy who lived near us and his family were notorious. They were wild, and I mean wild. And he was the youngest of so many brothers who were all wild, so he was wild, trading on his family name. I remember one time I was walking to the Daru or the job centre, or social security as it was then, and he was walking the other side of the road and the Lord spoke to me. I said, a Thursday morning. He says, go and tell him about me. I said, Lord, I can't. I hadn't been a Christian that long. I can't tell him about you because I probably would burst him. I could batter him, but it's his brothers and they're all wild. <laughs> he tells his brothers. I live in Corky Hill. They don't live that far. And I never... He was 16, 17 max. On the Saturday afternoon, he was playing football at Nether Craigs, which was right across the road from where I lived and dropped down dead with a heart attack. What would have happened if I had shared the gospel? He might have received it, I might have rejected it, I don't know. I should have been obedient. 
And I remember always saying, well, I'll never do that again. And then we moved to, from Govan to Cardonald, where we now live. I used to see an old man walking out the hump. I kept saying to my wife, I need to witness to that guy. I need to tell him about Christ or something about him. Every time I see him, I'm just... And I never... And one night we're coming back and the road was taped off and we couldn't get in the driveway. What happened to the old man, it was a winter, maybe October, November night, and uh, the old man was crossing the road and getting knocked down and killed a car. So know what it's like to obey and I know what it's like to disobey folks. But the fact is, God doesn't hold that against me. He just says, you know what, let's learn to do better the next time. Because we have authority. But here's the thing, and then we will challenge your authority to dis distort your identity to disconnect you from your authority. We see that in the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, when he goes into the wilderness, he's full of the Spirit. The Spirit's came upon him. The Bible says he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Here's the first temptation that Jesus experienced. He was tempted to operate an authority without intimacy. If you are the Son of God, see the game, the challenge of identity. If you are the Son of God, operate. Tell these stones to become bread. The devil knew Jesus could do that. But what the devil was suggesting to tell Jesus, listen, Jesus, operate in authority. The authority that I recognise in your life, operate in that without intimacy. Because the Father wasn't asking Jesus to do that. And that's a temptation to tell us that we operate out of authority or even out of memory rather than intimacy. I meet a lot of ministers who are operating out of memory what God did rather than intimacy who God is. So that's the first thing. You'll be tempted when you move in authority. <laughs> You'll be challenged your identity. You'll be tempted to move in authority without intimacy. You will be tempted to use the authority for your own means and ends. What the devil was saying is, Jesus, satisfy yourself. Satisfy yourself. It's not about what you're called to do. And I love what Lance Warner says, and it's brilliant. He kind of says, as Jesus made his way up the hill, he says, in the temptation, he says, what you bow to on the way there, you'll be controlled by when you get there. I thought, that's brilliant. Then he's saying, Jesus, operate in authority with the intimacy. Jesus, satisfy your own needs. Jesus, not only operate in authority with the intimacy, but operate in authority without being subjected to authority. So how do we increase our authority? Because I meet lots of Christians. The two best books I've read, a number of books in authority this year, I've sent to Calhoun. Where's Calhoun? Watchman Lee's Spiritual Authority. Absolute classic. Brilliant. I don't agree with everything he says, but it revolutionised my life. He says, God's not interested in sin, he's interested in rebellion. Because rebellion as is the sin of witchcraft. Oh, oh, right? And then within a week I was dealing with witchcraft in the workplace. Somebody was in rebellion, no listening to the, the, the service manager, the operation manager, said, John, will you deal with this? <laughs> okay. This person's had a go at me, so I've had, had a conversation with them after I calmed down and wasn't angry um, and then we had to deal with it all again and two days later the Lord said to me we'll deal with witchcraft because it was rebellion so Watchman is a brilliant book Chuck Craft is another great book he gave them authority is a brilliant book and the premises of both of those books are this you have authority you've been given authority but what are you doing with it it's how you exercise it God has called us to exercise that authority and the empowerment of his spirit. That's why I do what I do, where I do it, everywhere. It's no limited to church, the four walls here Sunday morning, or house group or whatever. God's working everywhere. 
And if we limit them to those environments, we're missing it in the other environments that he's working in. So how do you increase your authority? Here's the first thing, we need to steward our authority. Now what I mean by that is this, we need to recognise, number one, that we've been given it, but number two, we have a responsibility to exercise that wisely. And not just wisely, but for the benefit of others. Paul says to the Corinthian church, the authority which God has given me to build you up and not tear you down. And that's a good correction to a lot of modern day apostles who think there's super authority and they can do what they want, say what they want, pull people down whenever they want. That's no. Paul says, look, God has given me authority for you guys. I don't lord my authority over you guys. I make suggestions, I make recommendations, and it's based on relationship. It's based on fatherhood. But it's a whole different series in terms of what is the true nature of the apostolic. Um, so, but Paul is using the fatherly advice. He's not commanding, he's not dictating. He is saying, you know what? God has given me an authority to build you up. Here's the thing. God spoke to me two years ago and said this. And authority is given not to bless but to build. And the Lord says, you know what? You've blessed people long enough now what you've built people. And that's what the prophetic does. The prophetic builds people. It doesn't just bless them as much as bless them is great. It actually builds something in them. It actually builds their destiny. It actually gives them their future, a clarity of vision a grace to understand where they fit in the, the body of Christ and where they function. Because here's the thing, your identity gives you your place and your position in Christ. Your authority gives you your sphere of functionality. Let me say that again. Your position, your identity in Christ gives you your position of who you are in Christ. But your authority gives you a sphere of functionality where you should be functioning, where and when and with whom. And again, you see that there's times God will tell you, go to this place, Go to this person. We have people in the church years ago, doing the prophetic guys, and the Lord spoke to him. says, I want you to go to this bridge in Fife, which is a couple of hours' drive, and when you get there, there'll be somebody wearing a red jersey and they're going to throw themselves off the bridge. And it'll be at this time, say two o'clock tomorrow, give them the exact time. So this guy got a hold of my younger brother, who was part of the church at that time, and he says, Look, will you come with me, Alan? And sure enough, they go to this bridge, they're waiting. And waiting, it comes time, sure enough, then you see this person come with a red jersey. And they go up and say, hey, you're thinking about contemplating suicide, aren't you? And throwing yourself, how do you know that? Well, God told me that yesterday. So it's not just me that moves in these ways, folks. We have a number of people who move in incredible revelation, incredible detailed revelation for the benefit of others. But that's an authority, but the only way you steward it is by recognising it's for the benefit of others, not to make you look good, it's to build people up. Here's another way you increase your authority, by serving people. Authority is best grown in the soil of service. That's why in Matthew 25, Jesus says, when the disciples, who's going to be the greatest? I love it. Jesus is telling them he's got the cross to be crucified, and they argue on the way of who's the greatest. Brilliant. And you know what? Jesus does not rebuke them. For that argument and the longing and desire to be great, Jesus redefines for them what greatness looks like. He says, you know that the Gentiles lord and those who, the Gentiles kings and, and those in positions, those who have authority, lord it over them. But it should not be so with you. Instead, those who want to be great among you should be the servants. And what Jesus is doing is redefining what greatness looks like. He says, if you want to be great, be a servant. There was an old guy, I think it was... Um, I can't remember his name, a uh, famous uh, violinist, and somebody once said to him, 
What is the hardest instrument in the world to play? And I'm talking about life in general. He says, second fiddle. And what I meant by that, none of us, all of us want to be first. None of us want to be second. Mm. We want to be first. We want, so there's nothing wrong with a desire to be great. As long as that greatness is rooted and buried in the soil of serving others. And that's what Jesus says. Not so among you, he says, I'm among you as a king. But I'm not here to be served, but to serve. I give my life a ransom for many. Matthew 25, you can read it there. And again, Jesus just redefines the whole same nature. So, authority's increased when you steward it, when you serve. But here's the, the most important thing. And again, if you don't take everything away, take this away, please, and, and do it. I'm not talking about a pronoun, I'm talking about a verb. Um, and a verb, a pronoun is when you describe something. I'm learning some things in old age <laughs> that I never learned when I should have learned them. It's a descriptive thing, a noun pronoun is descriptive, but a verb's a doing word. Authority is growing and you're going. Jesus comes to him and says, All authority is growing and you're going. Jesus comes to him and says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. What he says is, You go, you will exercise your authority and it will be increased as you go. Lots of people want authority in church, lots of people want to discover what they're called to be. And sit within church year after year. I've met loads of them. Sometimes 20, 30 years go by, they still don't know the reason why they're here. As Mark Twain says, the two greatest days of a person's life are what? The day you were born and the day you discover why. Two greatest days in your life is the day you were born, but then the next greatest day is the day you discover your purpose for living. And you'll only ever discover that in God's economy from God's revelation from your identity and that is why in Exodus 2 I love this and I'll finish with this or come out land with this Exodus chapter 2 Moses has been brought up 40 years in Pharaoh's court and the Bible says that one day so within that 40 years he's a Hebrew he knows maybe instinctively and intuitively that he's a Hebrew but he doesn't he's not surrounded by Hebrews he's surrounded with comfort palatial and it would probably like some shakes nowadays. That was where Moses was brought up. But the Bible says one day he left that culture and went and he saw an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew and he took it upon himself to kill the Egyptian and bury his body in the sand. And then obviously you know the rest of the story was reported. But here's the thing, the Lord spoke to me, he says sometimes if you want to discover your assignment, you need sometimes you need to change your environment. Moses connected with his purpose for life when he left the palace and went amongst his people. And his purpose for life was to deliver God's people. And that was microcosmic in one instant, which was magnified that God would say, later you'll leave. Moses had to enter his own exodus and his own exile before he could bring the people of God out of exile and bring them into the promised land. Moses was a prophetic parable to the people of Israel at that time, and he and here's the other thing. So people for years are in, if you want to change your, you want to discover your assignment, your purpose, sometimes you need to change your environment. Sometimes you need to do that. And, and Acts 7, I think it's 24, 25 says this, and I love this. It's Stephen giving his speech as he's about to be stoned. And he said, and he quotes Moses, says, Moses, in doing that act, thought that people would understand that God had called him to deliver them. But, they did not. 
not everybody will get your authority, your assignment, because your authority is always connected to your assignment, what God's called you to do, but it all flows through your identity. Not everybody will celebrate it or get it. But the fact is, you don't need everybody to celebrate or get it. You only need one person. And when that gets it, it can be a contagion. Malcolm Gladwell was a tipping point. You read it, it's a great book about how AIDS spread in the 80s and 90s, and it started in one pub with, I think, not even a couple of dozen people. And then it became a worldwide epidemic. And he talks about it doesn't need a lot of people to come to a tipping point where something becomes contagious and viral and of epidemic proportions. What about the gospel? During the first century, in the first century church, the gospel was contagious. It was an epidemic that Rome and everything else could, through persecution, through crucifying people, through killing, they couldn't get rid of it until the extent that when Augustine came to power, he thought, you know what? I can't let these guys. I'm just going to make it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it's still spreading. Christianity is an epidemic. Christ is an epidemic. He's viral. He's contagious. We used to go out there, and I'll finish with this, we used to go in on a Friday night when the pubs were all closing to a chip shop. We were only Christians at not maybe a year or whatever, but we had a real evangelistic hunger and passion. And we would go into the chip shop and it would be full of meds and gangsters and people waiting on their chips and waiting on their food. And we would put our big black Bible, and I mean it was big black, on the thingy, and we'd say to the guys, don't open that. You know, and so was, what do you mean don't open it? Don't open that, especially the Gospel of John chapter 316, because we're not responsible for the consequences. If you open that John chapter, so everybody's hearing that now. What's in that? What's John 316? What is in that book that's, that's so and then it's like, well we don't know where what John 316 is. What is that? What and then we would turn it and we, we could read it. And we tell everybody, for God so loved the world to give his one and only son. Whosoever we believe I should not perish, but I had nothing last night. And it led us into witnessing to a whole chip shop full of gangsters, drunks, and everything else. Why just be put in the Bible? Folks, that's, that's what we did. We used to hijack communist meetings in Glasgow City Centre. They would gather the crowd and we would steal the crowd. We'd go up and we would ask questions, and then we would ask questions before they know it. We would be taking over the crowd and selling the gospel and telling people the gospel. And then they really get angry with us and, and sometimes they try and bar us for their meat. But here's the thing. What you have is a lifestyle. And I was in two mice this morning when I teach what we were going to look at or faith. And here's the thing, we just go to say this about faith. Faith is not a concept that you visit, but a lifestyle you possess. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. No, will think by faith, but will live by faith. Faith is not an emotion, it's an action. So when God asks you to do something, then you step out and do it. I said this to the guys on Thursday. Um, oftentimes God will ask me to go for the most difficult things I need, so like deafness or blindness or whatever. And so I'll say, look, uh, if you're deaf today or uh, you can't hear me, if your neighbours can hear, not just say he's talking about you, uh, God wants to heal deafness. And so I step out, and I, I literally step out like that, say God's going to heal deafness. And away. I remember doing this in Dungan and Vineyard uh, with Jason Scott, who Jason Scott very well a number of years ago, and it transpires there were seven dead people in the church that day, and that wasn't huge numbers. I thought, wow. And I waited, and I waited five minutes, 
10 minutes that we could feel the weight of I should just shut this thing down and step back uh, and just say, listen, I've got it wrong. But I felt, you know what, no, God's going to do this. And you could feel the people feeling sorry for me. <laughs> John was doing ever so well until he came to this point. What a shame. How bad is it? Oh, that's terrible. They're not saying that, but you can tell by the way, because you can see people's faces. Uh, and then all of a sudden, gang on the right hand side has two ears pop open. Then another one behind him has ears pop open. Then that lady here has ears pop open. Five people at the sun were immediately, not immediately, but were healed completely. One was healed partially and one wasn't healed, including Jason's father-in-law that day, who was going for milk. His wife sent him out for milk and ended up in a meeting. He was deaf in both ears and God opened his ears. And I remember God speaking to me through Jenison Franklin, who's a great preacher in America, and he was talking about something that says this, faith is holding on to nothing until it becomes something. And the Lord spoke to me and says, that's what you're doing. So even ask you to step out like that, John, you're holding on to nothing. There's no manifestation. There's nothing happening. You're holding on to nothing by faith because it's not a light in the dark. Or a step in the dark because I've spoke. I've given you this is what I want to do. And you hold on to nothing until it becomes something. Until that manifests in the environment. Until that manifests in the people's lives. So I love standing out of faith. It's still scary. You stand there holding nothing. An invisible realm, but you're holding up faith before the whole of the invisible realm, before God, before angels and demons, principalities and powers. You're saying, I'm not going to be moved by what I see. I'm not going to be moved by what I hear, like Smith Wigglesworth says. I'm only going to be moved by what I believe God has said. And then bang. Five out of seven. Six. Five completely healed. One partially healed and one no healed. You might say, well, what about, we always concentrate on the one no healed. That's not my responsibility. I don't heal. And if I don't claim responsibility for healing, I don't need to claim responsibility when it doesn't happen. But as long as we always leave people in a place of faith and love and hope. Mm-hmm. So remember, you have authority this morning. My question to you is, what are you doing with? Another way you increase authority is by obedience. Just step out when we ask you to step out. Intimacy and obedience always increases authority and power. Because why would God give you any more if you're not stepping up what you have? So that's the reason why you should be ministering to one another. And you know what? This church is going to look vastly different than a year from now. Vastly different. Because I'm hoping that from this, I'm not hoping, I'm believing that from this weekend you'll actually put things into practice. And that when I come back, whenever that is, and that's not a request to come back, but when I talk to Caleb, um, that he says, you know what, John? That dynamic community of faith where the miraculous is monitored, we're actually seeing that happen. Mm. We're seeing that happen with the people that we thought couldn't, should God, couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't use, mm. as he is. Mm. And that's what, for me, that's the, the greatest blessing. Mm. It's not about what I say, it's what you do with what God has said and how that grows and how that blossoms and how that's fruitful and how that multiplies and is contagious and becomes epidemic. Because mm. I'll tell you what, here's the thing. Okay, a couple of things. You guys have got to get more visibility in the movement here in the UK. Okay, so you need to be prepared for that. You need to be aware of that. Because of what you're doing, that's going to be highlighted. And I know nothing in the natural, so it's not that I know something. But some of the guys who lead a movement, like John and Debbie, and some of the guys surrounding them, they're going to come to you at some point. Your visibility is going to increase, Caleb. 
in the moment for you to get so you need to be aware of that when it comes and how to navigate that and because it will, that will maybe become some strings that you like attached and how you navigate that is going to be really important okay but you need to be aware of that that what god is going to do amongst you as a fellowship as a community will be recognized beyond and in with where you are that's a good word right there it's not the visibility of go in one sense it is see when god god calls you to be visible you cannot be invisible and the church is called to be visible the church isn't inconsequential or irrelevant or unimportant we have a light of the world. We have a salt of the earth. The church might be many things, but inconsequential, irrelevant, and non-important, it's none of those things. But we have been bought into the lies of the world's culture. Ah, church. No. We have a salt. We have a preservation of society. The church has taken it away. This world is finished. This world is finished. We have preservation of flame of society. We are a light of not just a moral light, we are a spiritual light. We are guidance. And as it says in Isaiah chapter 2, there will come a day when the peoples and the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord for decisions, for wisdom. That can happen now. Your boss comes, what do you think? So like my boss, John, I can't deal with this. I've been here 17 years, I've never had somebody speak to you know that. Would you come in and help me deal with it? And then I take charge of it. And she's sitting there gobsmacked and saying to the last who she's dealing with, John's taking charge of this. I, I don't know what to say. That's, this is amazing. Mm. Because I'm dealing with witchcraft. I don't even know at that point in time I'm dealing with witchcraft. I just know I'm dealing with rebellion. Then two days later I'm reading the book that I was reading and the guy quotes Derek Prince says, rebellion as is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness like unto idolatry. And I thought, that's what we're dealing with. She's rebellious. She's not wanting to submit to any authority. Will it be? She's not wanting to listen to the people who've been for years that's causing us problems. Mm. And I was able to deal with that. I don't need to go back to my boss and say, if you want to listen, it was witchcraft. I'm here in that case. <laughs> what, what do you mean witchcraft? Well, it was this and this and this. And I could look all out and walk her through and say, that's not going to mean that. Fine. But what did mean a thing is the fact that it's resolved. And we dealt with the rebellion and we dealt with the stubbornness in a gentle, gracious way. With gentle words, like Proverbs says, a harsh words stirs up anger, but a gentle word breaks a bone breaks the hardness of people's hearts. So mom will minister and then so where's the people who were here last night in terms of women with it? Is Jonathan here? Where's Jonathan then? Is Jonathan here? Is he still missing? <laughs> I've been chasing you for about 24 hours, buddy. <laughs> Not literally but figuratively. You have a you have a problem with the right knee. Yeah. I think everybody knows you have a problem. <laughs> okay, um, so we're going to pray for Jonathan. So, is there anyone in here, because this is what I like to do, is there anyone in here who has never prayed for somebody and seen them healed? You've prayed for some, you've never prayed for anybody, or you've prayed for people but never seen a healing. That God has never walked through you in healing. That tells me then that uh, yourself, okay, good. Put your, put your hands right up, I can't see. There's three, four, okay, five, six. So, Jonathan, do you mind if these six people gather around you and pray for you? Because no. I could pray for you and I believe God would heal you. But I want to demonstrate something else. I want to demonstrate that it's not about me, it's about you guys. And when I leave, that that normative culture and miraculous will be more normative. 
How long have you done your problem with your right knee? Uh, about 15 years. I have my years. ACL rebuilt. So right. Okay, that's what my boy's going in for. His ACL and PCL both. He was ripped in every bit of him. So that's his last thing. But in saying that, his knee should be wobbling, but we've been praying and God's been moving and his knee is solid. <laughs> so hopefully he might not need it, but if he does, he does. God loves him. So those guys you've never prayed for somebody, can you gather around Jonathan? Can you stand up, please? I've seen people with conditions like this for 30 years plus healed instantly. Um, loads and loads of times. Guys, can you do this for me though? Use your phone and pray. Don't pray around the world. Dear God, please heal Jonathan. If ever anybody deserves to be healed, it's Jonathan because he's such a good guy. As nice a prayer as that is, guys, it's not going to do what we need it to do. Jesus never prayed like that. Jesus just, a lot of times Jesus' prayers and the disciples' prayer was uh, be healed. It's authoritative prayer. So you speak to that condition. If you're a male, you maybe, if John allow, Jonathan allows you, lay your hand on that knee and we're going to see what God does. Is that okay? We can leave you with that and then we can move on and do something else. Okay, guys? So, on you go. Okay, who, who's the person here and you have, um, you got a problem in, in the base of your spine? I think it's just maybe above your coccyx, but you have a problem in your spine that's led to a problem in your hip. Where, where are you? That's you. Right, okay. Why don't you stand? How long have you had that for? Since February. Since February? Okay. Uh, do you know how it's came about? Or? Not really. Not really? But I got stole back and then tight hit and sciatica in my right leg. Oh, sciatica as well? Oh, I'm going to find so good. I like these things that are a challenge for me. I'm not intimidated by any illness or sickness. It just is more challenging. I'm like, I like that. And the longer it's been, I like that. Not the fact that I like it in you, but the fact that when God demonstrates his power, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his love, his grace, but his authority, then it's wonderful. So we've got to do two things first of all. Caleb, do us a favour, check his legs. So can you sit back down please? Just check his legs first and foremost, yeah, and that one. And they the say if they're the same size, that's great. <laughs> are they short or are they? No, the same, okay, that's fine. Right, so what you will do is we'll pray for you. Because sometimes God, a lot of times, have problems and back spinal problems because one leg is shorter than the other, and most people have that. And we've seen grown people let God grow people's legs out. Anybody ever seen that? <laughs> Listen, it's, it's a, back in the day when Mark Marks came and his part got, that was a bread and butter. <laughs> they were like, ah, oh, right, okay. The leg grown out as if it's nothing. It's bones and everything. They're like, ah, oh, right, okay, the leg thing again, God, okay. So let's pray. What's your name? Tom. Tom, let's pray for Tom. See, as well as that Tom physical thing, that there is a real academic anointing upon you. You know, I don't know you, I've never met you, but as I'm looking at you, I see the word analytical. You're, you're very analytical, you like everything in its place and a place for everything. Okay, you like to pigeonhole things, that's the way your mind works. You love to pull things apart, but not just pull, you love to understand 
why things work as they do step by step process. Yeah. But here's the thing. The Lord is about to move in your life and he loves that about you. And he, that's the way you wire, that's the way he's created you. But there's a supernatural dimension coming to your life that you've been crying out for for a long time. A long, long time. And you felt that your analytical mindset has gotten old, and sometimes it has, but God can say to you today, it's not about your analytical mindset, it's not about you, Lord. I'm about to move in your life. I see you having visions and dreams, and what I mean by visions, you've had them, and you've crept out your daydreams. You've been, you've been driving, you've been in places where you saw things in your mind's eye, like watching TV, and that's been a closed vision. An old vision, a closed vision in terms of your eyes are old, but you've seen it in your mind. Is that true? You've thought it didn't you? Pay attention to that. Because it is, that's been happening in your life and you're not paying enough attention to it. And it's very subtle that the Lord is doing things like that and he wants to bring the supernatural into your life. And he's going to demonstrate it by bringing the healing to your body. Can we have some guys to pray for this guy? Tom? Can you pray for him as well? What's your name? James. James, but the guy behind you, Miss Hardis. 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 H. Hardis. Where are you from? South Africa. Ah. <laughs> Where about is in South Africa? Durban. Durban. Okay. I've not been there yet, and I emphasise yet, but I've only there. I've been offered a couple of times to go, and it's just not worked out. Uh, Hardis. Do you pray for the sick and see them healed? No? So today you are, so you lay hands on this man as well, Tom. There is somebody here, and again, that you, you have a problem with your diet, it's almost you need to, you don't have, you know, can't eat dairy products, it's like a gluten-free type of thing. Where are you? Preacher. Oh, the preacher, the teacher. Okay. So, how long have you had that condition? Thirty-five years. Wow, that's great. It's not great, but thirty-five years. Yeah. Okay. How would you know if you were healed? Horrible thirst and a horrible stomach. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be bold. Okay. So we're going to pray for this. I've seen this happen a number of times. Honestly, I have in South Africa and Glasgow with a young girl who was uh, dairy intolerant, and the Lord spoke to her and says, "Pray for her." She went back to she'd been like that all her life. She was maybe in her late teens and she went back that night to the house. We never told her to do this and she ate chocolate and drank milk with no after effect and she's been fine ever since. I prayed for a girl in uh, Edinburgh City Mission. I was doing a thing for the vineyard, Edinburgh Vineyard. She was the same. She'd lost a lot of weight, became anorexic. Uh, prayed for her. Spirit manifested to be cast out the spirit and she's been healed and no problem ever since. I'm not saying your condition's caused by a spirit, but what I'm saying is that I believe God wants to touch you. God reveals to heal. 
Okay, so can we get some guys to pray for that? How's your knee, Jonathan? It feels alright. I don't know. I've, um, I've just said to the guys, I've got a... Um, an MRI scan on Tuesday, and now I'm seeing following week the guy who operated on me um, 15 years ago, and so I put pins in my knee. So I'm, I'm, I'm believing that they're not going to be there. Okay, so I want somebody who's bold enough to pray that the metal, the pins in his knee will dissolve when he goes for an MRI scan, that the ACL will be put together. So on you go, do that. We've, we've already had that prayer. Have you had that prayer? We've had that prayer. So we will look at that then and when you get your MRI scan, hopefully the metal will dissolve. Um, and if it's not dissolved, sometimes God works in incredible, mysterious ways. So I prayed, I don't know if you were here last night at all, the guys, but a lady I prayed for, a young girl, she had a knee injury and there was a metal plate in her knee which meant she had no flexibility in her knee, in her right knee. Uh, couldn't bend, couldn't do anything with it. We prayed for her uh, and she was immediately healed and she was able to squat up and down something that she should not and could not and would not have been able to do just because of the plate. So, any pain in the knee at the moment? No. Was sometimes, it pain before? Not, sometimes it just gives out, but I'm just walking upstairs and it just will just reach. Right, so, oh, again, it's, so it's a, a time thing will tell. Okay, so it's fine. Okay. Who's the, the person you have? Um, it's like a bronchial condition. I don't know if it's asthma and maybe asthmatic light, but it's, it's like a chest condition. And you've, you, again, you've had that for a number of years um, and it affects you probably in this scene that we're going to get the one on ones. Is anybody here like that? It's linked to asthma or a bronchial condition? Is that yourself? Okay, how, how does it affect you? You don't mean me asking. Um, I, I cough quite a lot. Alright, okay. So, <laughs> Alright, everybody does, yeah. Just to be if you went into a bank with a mask, you would be. The police would come. Now you want one without one, the police will come. So, we've got to pray for you. How long have you had that condition? I think all my life it was only. Okay, so we've got to pray for that. We've got to use the authority that God's given us and the empowerment He's given us by His Spirit to pray and get rid of that. Okay? There's also someone here and you suffer from an arthritic condition, okay, uh, and it's not full-blown arthritic condition, uh, and again, it's, it's in your fingers, uh, but in the winter months, your fingers are actually, when it's frozen, that's when the pain is at its worst, where you I think it's more in your right hand than you than your left. Is that yourself? Okay, can we get something to pray for this lady here?
Okay, we don't always need words of knowledge to call it things. Okay, sometimes if you're ill or you're sick or you have a, a disease or a condition that you've lived with for a long time and you'd like to see it gone, we would have to pray for you. So is there anybody in the room like that? Otherwise I'm going to... Yeah, but all oh, right. It's not a good. Thing, but. No, that's good because there's a number of people like that, so we'll get to that. You too, guys. Yeah. What's your? Um, I've been annoying, but it's been going on. Been going on for ages. Yeah, and they and they. Oh, so you're just. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What? So is it like? Um, it's not a fashion. Oh, right. Okay. Do you have arches in your feet? Or are they falling? No, no. The flat. Are they flat? Do you have arches in your feet? Mine are fine, it's all on my heel. Mine's on my heel, but my arch is starting to give in. Is it? Okay. Can you guys stand up? Can we? The reason I say this is because I've seen God recreate arches when there was no arches. A number of years ago, I was down here in the south doing an intercessory meeting. And on Friday night, I thought, what am I doing here? These people are crazy. <laughs> They're waving flags over my head and tambourines and, and harps. And I'm like, this is bonkers. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff, but this is bonkers. <laughs> I'm standing up the back and there's this young girl in front of me, her name's Zoe, and her arms bent in like that and the right knee's bent in, facing the other knee, and, and her body's broken. I'm like, an anger rose up within me. I says, Lord, that's been right. Her name means life and health, and here's this broken body. And anyway, the next morning comes and I'm sitting up the back and they open up for a testimony time and somebody says, eh, anybody like to testify? And this lady gets up and says, I want to testify I had a great night's sleep last night and I'm sitting up the back and having this annoying conversations with God, I'm like, God, is that the best you can do? Somebody to can't sleep and then they're sleeping. There's got to be more than that. And the Lord says to me, how dare you? For some people, that's just, sleeping's just as much a miracle as anything else. It's a Lord of revenge. God did the word and then said to this young girl, say, Zoe, why don't you commit? Well, never felt anything, just mumbled some sort of prayer in obedience. And her hand that was bent in like that went straight up like that and completely straight. And I thought, ah, she's at it. She's at it. She, she could always do that. And she says, I says, could you do that? She says, no, I've never been able to do that. And so then I said, okay, my head's blown, all my circuits are blown. I put my two hands up with her right knee, which is bent in to her left, like, I mean, virtually like that. I was totally bent right round. I put my hands on the outside her knee because she's a young female. And we watched as God turned the knee perfectly straight. And I mean perfectly straight. What happened with them was that there was two nurses, not just two nurses, two staff nurses, Dave for Southampton Vineyard, for Southend Vineyard, and Irene Taylor for Liverpool Vineyard, both of them were staff nurses and knew this girl. This girl was a cerebral palsy all her life, had been in a wheelchair, and that's why she was, her body was all bent and broken. They say, she's no arches in her feet. She says, let's recommand arches in Jesus' name. We took the first kind of slipper that she had done off, and there's a perfect arch. We prayed, and then God created another arch. The next day, at the dinner table, lunch, before we were all leaving, she says, is that red? And I say, yeah, why? She says, I was colourblind. I couldn't see colours. She said, colours. <laughs> I get some email a week later, um, from a week or two weeks later, from Irene Taylor, and told me the story of her. That's how I knew her most about her now. And she says, John, I just want to tell you that Zoe bought her first pair of running shoes and she's been out running. Come on. Cerebral palsy, broken body, one evening, the next day, bang. 
So for those people with foot conditions, plantar fasciitis, why don't we stand? And we'll deal with that. Can we get some people around about to pray for these people? The two people who are struggling to sleep, which is yourself, Carolyn, and yourself, what's your name? Ellen. As a 